Hello, I'm Rashmi Becker and this is Conversations with Carers, a series where we look at the stories of those that dedicate their lives to caring for others. There are almost 7 million carers in the UK. Some work on the front line of social care, others are unpaid carers for family members that need support because of health conditions, age or disability. Each day in the UK, 6,000 people take on a caring responsibility. I'll be talking to just some of them about what it really means to care. Today's guest is Abigail Kessel. Abby became the carer for her mother when she developed Parkinson's and dementia. My main caring role, obviously being a mother, you're always caring, but I think was when my own mother had become um, ill, an illness that slowly got worse. She had Parkinson's. I was leading up to caring for her for quite intensely for some years up to her death which she died about um, six years ago now. What was very challenging, there were many things that were very challenging about that time, obviously, but the being my mother and having that sense of the role reversal having happened, um, obviously having her being my parents. My father died when I was 11, so she was then the only adult around, as it were, and then I really noticed that role reversal happening and, and became became the mother to her. So often in the hospital, I would the nurses were really happy that I was there and I would be very much sort of taking the lead on on looking after her and um and that might be anything from taking her to be washed to sanitary things for her to um you know making sure I was obviously all the time conversing and talking to all the doctors and the medical staff because my mum, my mum's sort of progression, she started to get dementia with the Parkinson's and that really affected her clarity of what was going on and, and sort of comprehension of things. What was really challenging was when she was discharged and at home, she then didn't have anyone around to support and care for her. So initially, um, there was a big financial budget because I did try and get sort of private carers in, but very quickly the money ran out for that. Um, even to the point that me and my husband sold the car in order to try and fund that. Um, and also, ironically, she had been out of hospital, for example, on one occasion, and and three days later, with with a carer, a private carer that was there, um, and and three days later she slipped and broke her hip, so she was back in hospital. So the, this for a long time though, then when she was at home as well, I would every day be driving from my part of London over to West London, having dropped kids at school, and my husband would have dropped my my daughter at nursery, and or I'd drop my son or something like that, and I'd go over and try and um, be with her as much as I can and, and do everything that she needed and then before sort of rushing back in, in the traffic to, to do the reverse and collect the kids. And then often I would be spending many hours on the phone to her, so I would always be talking to her while I was physically not with her. So on the journey to her and then on the journey away, it would be often very long phone conversations. That got progressively more and more Sometimes she would phone me easily 30 times a day in a kind of a panic. That might might have been because of her condition and, and what was happening for her. Or it might have been something actually more genuine. So then it was like trying to decipher what was really happening and what was real a real crisis. So there was lots of 
struggle to sort of try and get her to have proper care and help. And eventually I managed to, to have the emergency button, which I arranged and managed to get her sorted it all out just for the day after that she got home. And two days after that, I got a phone call from them and I said, oh, is this like a, just a testicle? And they were like, no, I'm afraid your mother's had a fall. Was there just no support uh, in terms of home help or any type of support that you were being given? Well, I mean, obviously my my husband was, you know, doing as much as he could to support when I wasn't around because I think the problem was that I became much more absent because I was having to really put her first um, a lot of the time because she was in such a state. As far as sort of having time and rest for myself and for ourselves, that was that sort of became a bit sidetracked, to be honest, <laughs> quite minimal because things like my husband's birthday, arranging a nice day out with friends, and we got just arrived to the restaurant and we got the call that the ambulance was at my mum's house. It was that, that, that sort of thing, so I had to leave that and go all the way to West London again. So those kind of, it felt a lot of the time that any time we did try to create space to just some downtime or, or rest or recovery, it would always be taken over again by, you know, the situation that she was in because it just, it sort of felt like it just kept increasing and increasing and increasing. And once I finally got her into a care home because I realised that we needed, this was literally the last way. She, at this point, she'd sort of lost being, the ability to get out of bed and although she was absolutely against the idea, and obviously I felt incredibly guilty because I promised I'd never put her in a care home, um, but I tried to get her nearer to me on this side of London. And I did get her into one, and I'd go every day and be with her, but then it was really, sadly, an awful, not a great situation, and I often found her in a very shocking situation. I know there are some amazing care homes out there with amazing carers, but this sadly ended up being a really bad situation and there were times where I would found her sort of collapsed over her call button had been disabled and you know no one had been near her and just really sad very very awful so then it became very difficult because I was like how do I be with her for the all the time that I need to be with her plus trying to be with the family and and the kids and try and give them as much as normality as possible because obviously the effect went massively onto my husband and my kids and you know I remember times at Christmas I'd arrive and this is when she was once at home and she just poor thing you know had diarrhea everywhere and I was, I was trying to clear that up at the same time I was um left my husband and, and my mom's brother was coming and we we're trying to sort Christmas dinner and so you know it was all some really crazy um, situations where you just want to be able to shout stop and for like the world to, I think, stop and for you just to step out and take a pause and take a breath. And like, but it never felt like that. It was just that relentless. It was very, very relentless, I think. The government's talked about families needing to take on more caring responsibilities. What do you think that means for families and what cost does that come at and I don't mean financial but what cost does that come up to to families well <laughs> yeah if we put the financial thing aside which is huge I think sadly unless you are financially set up or in a situation where you can afford to already have your parent in an extra room living with you but even if you did have a spare room that your parent could live in or both parents 
when you become a carer, you're putting your own self aside. I was constantly having to juggle. So a lot of it is about this juggling act that you're trying to do. And unless you can, someone can go, all right, I'm giving up everything to purely focus on being a carer. And you make that conscious decision. I think that's really, really hard because you're asking someone to, well, either to, to do that. And some people might want to do that and that's fine. But I think for a lot of people, especially if you're trying to earn an income, trying to squeeze it all together, there's always something that starts, that ends up breaking. And I think it's, it's you know, however much you're trying to buffer and make life around caring for someone who's unwell as normal as possible, undoubtedly it leaks out and it's like a domino effect at some point. Not, you know, we're not superhuman. We all need to be able to release and let go and have time for ourselves. But I think a lot of people don't have that. And they, you know, I think, yes, it's great as families if you have a relationship and you feel able to look after your parents because you feel you you know you've got strong relationships and you want to do that then that's an that's a beautiful thing to do um it's not that I didn't want to look after my mom but I think that in hindsight there are there are certain things that I'm aware that if if they could if they are a bit different then everything would be probably somewhat easier what sort of things do you think would help make things easier? Well, I think sometimes there's a lot of the communication, um, like I had to really struggle and, and fight to get the whole thing of the um, power attorney. That whole process, I mean, understandably, I understand why it needs to be thorough and in place, but that whole process was stressful just because I realized my mom was getting to the place where her decisions were you know sometimes she was very clear and sometimes it was just unraveling there are times when you're sort of in the room and you're able to have a conversation and you've got the consultant and you've got someone else there but most often you're sort of it feels like you're scrabbling around trying to get information you're scrabbling around trying to join up the dots and you a lot of the information you're not you don't necessarily uh, have it easily to hand and you don't necessarily understand uh, what the steps will be or so it's kind of in a way um, almost making a map and allowing people to to know where they are where they are in the map and really get clear about how to uh, the choices they're making of those steps and and you've described Abby your mum having Parkinson's dementia physical issues from falls and in and out of the hospital and a lot of these things require specialist care and support how did you manage your own mental health and well-being during this and how did you cope um (laughs) I don't know if I cope I suppose I did cope because I have that ability to keep pushing 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 through regardless of how I feel you know that's put into you as a you know training as a professional ballerina you know you just you keep going, keep going. And so I, I don't know, I don't know if I, I, I don't know how well I cope, to be honest. I think afterwards I made it, and I've said this to you, I made it into like a creative journey for me, like writing about it. I started to write about what happened, which ended up being a performance. And um, the journey of what I'd gone through was so, so intense on so many levels that I suppose in a way, the way I kind of was processing it was in was making it into like a creative piece of work because that was a way of sort of processing it as far as sort of like on everyday level of coping 
it you know it, it it was just that not really I not like you know nothing really I just sort of would try and try and get to sleep when I could and just next day get on and get up with and, and keep going with it the one time we really went away was uh, my mum had been a year in an, a different care home a care home that I you know was really lovely and I did still see her like every day or at least six days of the week and I I managed to get another lovely girl there well I knew we were going to my Argentina which was my husband's home and I had this feeling of like me going away is going to allow her sort of give her the permission to die in that sense of like I could just tell at this stage her dependence on me was so huge and like her dependence of on on so many levels like I'd become her mother, her nurse, like all these, I was sort of filling out all these different places for her, as well as sometimes trying to still be her daughter. I, and I just felt that and her absolute huge need that she she had. So basically just, she just wanted to be, you know, wrapped up and loved and, and held. And so I was sort of trying to give that. It makes me very emotional talking about it, of course. Um, but I know that when I... I had that sense of like I I think if uh, if we go away this this on some level this is going to release her and it, and that's exactly what happened although she didn't die when I was away she got on my husband's birthday of course um she got ill was taken to hospital we were coming home a few days later and I flew back 14 hour journey went from the airport straight to hospital and then was literally with her 24 hours a day and and it was seven and she, until she died seven days later my sister arrived from being away she was abroad she came back and um yeah so it was in a sense exactly that that happened and I always sort of feel that that was sort of in a way what had to happen speaking speaking to different carers Abby a lot of people express that sense of guilt and also that weight of responsibility and Looking back, do you think you were fair to yourself? Do you think you've been hard on yourself? I always, I will always feel like I I never did enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that, yeah, it does. It does weigh on you. There is that sense of sometimes it went a bit better and you had a bit of a better day. And a lot of the time it was the sense of, I kind of felt like someone was inside me and sort of just constantly scrabbling around my brain or pulling my eyeballs out. It was that feeling of like, it was so overwhelming. I could never quite keep on top of what I needed to do. So I always sort of had a sense of guilt. And it was always like, if I was on the phone to her, even though it'd been the 20th time that day, if I had to hang up, I would still feel guilty that I was hanging up or they're so in pain. I think that's the problem. You know, she was in suffering and in pain and I, I couldn't take that away you know, I really wanted to make it better. I wanted to sort of everything to be better. <laughs> and I can, you know, I couldn't do that. What would you say, Abby, to other people that may be in a similar situation? Maybe they're caring for a parent or, or family member who, you know, is in sort of palliative care or end of life or, or, you know, has those severe health conditions. What would you say to them that may be feeling the same way? I mean, obviously, you always, I'd always want to say, you know, make sure you take time for yourself because you can only, you know, that there's only so much that we can do. And I think 
if you're if you give yourself some space and time away from the situation then it allows you obviously to to give more you know to give more to the to that person you're caring for and it doesn't become resentment because i suppose that happened to me at times there were times of course where i felt oh my god yeah angry resentful um upset i always you know felt absolute love and a sense of I suppose of devotion to what I was doing but there were times when I just the exact the exasperation of what was going on and you know not being able to feel that it was like that snowball just kept going down the hill it wasn't that sense of like oh we've just done this and actually oh we can now have a nice big breath and it's all going to be sort of okay so I think, you know, for other people, it's trying to be compassionate with yourself and trying to be compassionate and, and loving to yourself, of course, and knowing that the journey that someone is on, in a way, you're just like this little speck in the universe or there's something, you know, you're crossing paths and you're supporting them on this journey um, in, you know, as they depart this world. And that is actually a very precious gift as well. But I think, you know, it's really important to to spend spend some time to give yourself the uh, you know the compassion and the love away from the situation because I think the most beautiful times when I was that I had with my mum with was when we were just quiet and with each other and I'd just be there holding her hand and I was just resting with her and I would just sort of maybe have my hat like those were probably the most times I got some rest as well you know just being with her and she, we were quiet we weren't necessarily talking and there was just that loving sense and that was so, so precious and wonderful rather than the kind of running around like a lunatic um you know careering across London and you know constantly feeling all the stress and trying to be talk to all the doctors and figure out her pain and this that, and the other and I think it's that it's fair people in you know who are giving care or palliative care knowing that the moments of just calm and stillness um are just as important and beautiful even though you might feel you're doing less you're actually doing I think a lot <laughs> What prepares you for having to become an advocate and that role reversal from you being cared for and being the child to suddenly becoming responsible for your mother and having to advocate for her? I think in a way it's that slowly when things started to go a little bit more physically health-wise downhill, she would sort of say, oh, do you want to come to this appointment with me and just hear what the doctor has to say? It was a bit like that. It was a bit like, oh, do you want to just... uh, and then I realized, oh, maybe she sort of wanted me to go. So I might sort of start to offer. Or I remember once saying that I think it'd be good that you came so you can listen to what the consultant has to say. And that was specifically something to do with her having a triple bypass. But she said, you know, I really want you to know and be there so that, you know. And so I think at those moments, I slowly started to realize more of that need to take on that role of what's the decisions of what's going to happen as far as her health care and well-being and then slowly when I realized that even though you know the nurses and doctors they're running around doing amazing jobs but just you know you're there and you realize your parent needs something or for example I remember calling up once and I realized I'd got to the ward and it was a cram ward and her she'd had a catheter bag and the urine in it was bright red like bright red she was delirious she hadn't been given water well someone had come and put water but they'd put it by a table which was like three feet away from her so she was no way she could even reach it or get it you know she was totally immobile 
so I'd be like calling up every day. Can you make sure, please, can someone please go and just give us some water, please? You know, things like that. So, so a lot of the time my days might, even if I were physically wasn't with her, I'd be spending quite a few hours on the phone trying to get through to someone, trying to see how she was. When I realised, this is the other thing, when I realised she could be sitting up one day and be like, oh, I'm absolutely fine with a sweet smile on her face. And, the, and that, the round of doctors would think, oh, you're doing really well, Miss Kessel, you know, Mrs. Kessel, you, you know, I'm sure we can discharge you. I'd be rushing in and going, I have to speak to these people. They have no idea what that means if you send her home. Absolutely no idea. I mean, literally, because as soon as she goes home, it's pure chaos. Yeah, it's like the chaos and the impact. So almost weirdly, when she was in hospital, at least I knew I could physically go and see her in hospital and go home. And there would be people around, even if they weren't always able to look after her the whole time, be next to her. There would be people around, whereas at home she was on her own unless I was with her we couldn't afford private carers the 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 care that the government gives like they go in do they weren't even allowed to boil an egg I think they I, I mean it was you know it's it's I don't know if it's changed but then it was not even allowed to do basic standard cooking they might make a cup of tea and then they'd leave again and then she also had bed sores that needed sorting and dressing so then I was like doing all the bed sores and I was helping with that as well um so yeah, I think it was that thing of like actually trying to put, trying to start to push and get my voice to be heard and sort of go, look, I know uh, at the moment my mum hasn't signed something which says I'm completely in control of decision making yet, but you need to understand that if she goes home, the situation is just impossible. And that was proven because the hospital discharged her. They said they would set up a call bell and they didn't do it. So the next day I was scrabbling around, spent a whole day to get this emergency call bell. And then that was the thing that Two days later, when they called me, they said she'd fallen and, and broken. So it was it just proved my point that I knew. But then there was that thing where where does your voice get properly heard? Because I think there's this, there's the law, isn't there, between when can the family member actually step up and be listened to? Because it is definitely for the better, you know, to, in order to help that person. When can they really advocate for him? Like, I don't know. It was quite it was a very big learning process, of course, for me learning you know to be confident about saying things and equally so in the care homes yeah I, I mean I think there's times where where I never felt I remember feeling quite a lot of anger and rage that I've never experienced before because I, I couldn't believe some of the things that were going on and and you're like well where do I direct this to you know how what's how can I be use this in a productive way I don't want to just be ranting and raging at someone but I need to sort of actually make practical decisions in order to you know give the best support and help as a mother has your experience with your own mother impacted your relationship with your children or how you see that relationship and also has it impacted your own thoughts about your own aging <laughs> part of me wants to say to my kids don't ever put me in a care home um, <laughs> no. um i I, you know, I just hope that if I go, it's like with a big smile and I, and I, and I, I'm here one minute and I'm gone the next second and I don't, cause I think it is, I think the long drawn out illnesses are so challenging. I haven't yet, um, had the discussion sort of with my, you know, about this with my kids at the moment, so too young, but I think at some point, you know, me and my husband probably will sit down and kind of go, where, you know, what what are we doing? What what's the situation? And because you just have at some point, you have to have that conversation, don't you? And, and like, how do we prepare for 
a situation that will be so it's not so much strain on the kids or or what what what's that going to look like even just having the conversation what is that going to look like what what could we envision because you don't know of course you don't know I spent quite a few years recovering from what what, what went on and I don't know if I ever will fully recover I think it was sort of so impacting that it's in the sense of how you know the sort of emotional physical and emotional mental toil but at some point yeah it will be okay I need to have this conversation with my children and just see what their thoughts are on it as well and just see you know because they might might have their own thoughts and I think it's important that they also feel part of the conversation you know at the moment I'm envisioning myself being 130 years old with (laughs) in a sunny garden with lots of you know so um (laughs) I, I just I think because life is so crazy and hectic and full on all the time as it seems to be anyway, I enjoy the the, the still moments to my kids. You know I enjoy uh, and love those just quiet things I can do with them. You know as well as the fun things, but just things like whatever it might be, whether it's reading a book to my boy before he goes to sleep or. I think it's that it's just appreciating the sort of the quality of time because it's so easy for life to you know you don't know when it's going to change suddenly but life is so full and and a lot of the time there's a lot of pressure a week can gone by and you haven't really had a real quality moment possibly with anybody not even you know your family or friends you know and it's just I think appreciating looking for those moments and appreciating those moments and I I do that on a daily level because it's like a kind of personal practice that I try and do and even if it's literally a couple of minutes here or there and I'm really aware when I for example if I haven't a few days have gone past and I feel like that hasn't happened I haven't had that quality moment with my children I, I, I'm acutely aware of it and I really sort of know that that's something so it might even be I just go and sit in my daughter's bedroom while she's chatting about something but I, it's just the fact that I'm just there and I'm being present and I think for me it's about really being present yeah with my kids and I think because that with my mum was the most beautiful times I had with her and I could just be really present with her and it wasn't the crazy you know all the crazy stuff that was happening to just make sure she was okay This was Conversations with Carers with Rashmi Becker and guest Abigail Kessel. I want to thank Abby for sharing her personal experience caring for her mother, who was living with Parkinson's and dementia. Abby described the constant anxiety, fear and uncertainty that both she and her mother experienced as they tried to navigate their changing relationship. The poor support and struggle to cope that Abby described is overwhelming. In the UK, three in five people will be carers at some point in their lives. The unpaid care provided by the nation's carers is worth an estimated $132 billion per year. Abby described the mental and financial strains of providing basic care for her mother and reflected on the lack of dignity in the treatment of people at the end of their life. For Abby, her experience caring for her mother is not something she thinks she will recover from. Is this a fair trade-off in savings to the public purse? Conversations with Carers is produced by Sophie King. Thank you for listening.